0: love is for losers some of you won't like this sermon because you don't like to lose Now, I'm not a naturally gifted loser either, I guess, depending on which way you look at it, Um, but I don't think losing is much fun. I can remember in the sixth grade, I won the spelling bee for my class, and I got to go represent my class in front of the whole school in the school-wide spelling bee, and this was a big deal. I mean, my family came to watch. There were tons of people in the stands, and I had hopes of spelling bee glory, which just shows you what a nerd I am. And then I lost... To be specific, I got ninth place. That's barely even good enough for a participation trophy, all right? I still remember the word that I lost on, monstrous. I am a monstrously bad loser. Open your Bibles with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to dig pretty deep into this text today. Love is for losers, Today we're talking about the topic of submission, which is a really safe and easy topic. There's absolutely no controversy there at all. So in case you haven't noticed, I brought my secret, secret weapon here with me today. This is my beautiful wife, Rebecca. Uh, she writes my sermons for me every week anyway, so you're used to hearing her words, but now you actually just get to hear them from her. <laughs> And today what we wanna do with y'all this morning is we just kinda wanna have a discussion about what submission actually is to lay aside some misconceptions and discuss why this submission thing is important and why it's also life-giving for us as Christians. But submission is really hard. It's not natural for us to limit ourselves or to give up our rights. It's not natural for us to lose, in which case you're a Reds fan, in which case you're used to losing and you'll be fine with this. <laughs> if I say the word submission right now, a lot of you will think of many different things. Some of you will think it's a demeaning word or a derogatory word. If I told you to submit, some of you might think that that means that you're second rate in somehow, or that you need to be to be quiet. Uh, submission is a countercultural concept. Submission is countercultural. Uh, when the world hears the word submission, it thinks, "Well, no, 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 no. That's that's just too old school. That's out of style." We think of submission like we think to this uh, gu- we, Like we think of this guide to wives. This is from Housekeeping Monthly magazine in the year 1965. It's called "The Good Wife's Guide," and it says that a good wi- wife must catch this: plan ahead, even the night before, to have a delicious dinner ready for when your husband gets home from work. This is a way of letting him know that you've been thinking about him and are concerned with his needs. Prepare yourself, put on some makeups, put put a ribbon in your hair, be fresh looking. He's been with a lot of work-weary people. Prepare the children, take a few minutes to wash them up, brush their hair, and change their clothes if needed. Remember, they are little treasures, and he would like to see them playing the part. (laughs) Have a cool or warm drink ready for him when he gets home. Arrange his pillow. Take off his shoes. Over the cooler months, you should prepare a light fire for him to unwind by. After all, catering to his comfort will bring you immense satisfaction. Let him talk first. Remember that his topics of conversation are more important than yours. Never complain if he comes home late or or if he goes out to dinner or entertainment without you. Instead, try to understand his world of strain and pressure and his need to relax. (laughs) Can you believe that? (laughs) So in Ephesians 5, when we hear Paul tell wives to submit to their husbands, we think, whoa, Paul, you're showing your age. That's old school, that's not how the world works anymore. And you know what? You're right. That's not how the world works anymore. Submission is countercultural. It's unnatural. And submission sometimes just feels like losing. But the big secret of the way that Jesus calls us to live is that when we follow him and we live in this radical, unnatural, countercultural, upside down way, when we lose, actually we win. When we lose our life, that's when we gain life. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and jump into our text today, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. Paul writes, "...submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything." Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. Uh, No one ever hates his own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So... What is submission? The Greek word Paul uses here for submission is the word hupotasso, which means to arrange under. So to submit is to defer to another, to set aside my will and defer to the will of someone else. We've already discussed this a little bit in our sermons on biblical manhood and biblical womanhood, that men and women are created absolutely equal in value, but we are not identical in role. God has designed men to occupy a unique leadership role within the institution of marriage. And yet from the very beginning, the devil has tried to distort God's design for marriage and to convince us, to convince Eve, even back in Genesis, that God's design for marriage is restrictive. And yet I think that we have found that when we live this out, This submission thing really is the most joyful and life-giving way to even conduct a marriage. So we're gonna explore a little bit of what that means. Rebecca, help walk us through a little bit of God's design here for marriage.
1: So biblical submission is voluntary. We all have different stories and backgrounds that have shaped us into who we are today, like our family upbringings, current cultural norms, or Hollywood, or even watching our friends' marriages. And for some of you, you're carrying baggage um, because you grew up in a church that maybe was very restrictive, or for others of you, maybe it was very permissive. Um, Some of you have grown up in a home with a domineering and an abusive father, or others of you maybe grew up in a single-parent home where your mom was the one who had to make all the decisions. And like Luke mentioned, God's design for the family unit um, is to bring him glory. It's for our good and for our greatest joy. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So whatever baggage that you're carrying with you today, I hope you can be encouraged as we unpack this text. I want to look at the first two uh, verses again of Ephesians 5. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. So, like I said, the first thing that we've noticed is that biblical submission is voluntary. In the first century, Jewish men commonly held disdain toward women. Women had no legal rights, and they were expected to blindly obey their husbands. So, upon hearing these words, this would, would have been very liberating for the women, um, because the Greek word that Paul uses for submit it has a different meaning than the Greek word for obey that Paul uses later for um, when he tells the children to obey their parents and the slaves their masters. So to submit implies a voluntary yielding. Up to this point, the wives submitted because they had to. Um, It was a legal requirement. But now Paul is saying the husband in no way can enforce his wife to submit to him. She instead voluntarily chooses to come under the direction of his leadership willingly, lovingly, and gladly. So, although our husbands don't have the right to enforce us to submit, if we're going to profess Christ to be Lord of our lives, then submission um, is not something we get to choose whether or not we do that. Our faith is not an all-you-can-eat buffet. Like a, um, it's not a buffet-style faith where I can choose a little bit of love, a lot of joy, and then go back for seconds on God's blessings in my life, and then just leave that submission stuff for someone else. Um, I come from a long line of women that are very strong, who freely chose to submit to their husbands. And my grandma Irene, her life is a great example um, of choosing to submit voluntarily to her husband. I think there might be a picture, maybe, yep. So this is my grandparents on their wedding day. My grandma is 16 years old in this picture. And when she was 26, which is how old I am right now, they had four kids ranging from ages nine to one. And at that time, my grandpa's mother passed away. And so my grandpa felt like he needed to ask um, his father to come live with them because he was elderly and couldn't take care of himself. So the responsibility of taking care of my great-grandfather fell on my grandma. And he lived with them for 11 years until he died. Now, I love my father-in-law, and my father-in-law is here today, but... 11 years (laughs) years—it's a really long time to be living in my house. (laughs) So not only was that a long time for my great-grandpa to live with my grandparents, he was really hard to get along with. He was very set in his ways, and he was always telling my grandma how to raise her four kids. So that meant all day long, my grandpa would go to work, my grandma would be alone in a small country home with four small children and one cranky old man (laughs) my mom talks about how hard that was on my grandma yet my grandma never complained my grandma willingly let my great grandpa come live with them at great cost to herself she voluntarily came under the direction of my grandpa's conviction to take care of his family she submitted voluntarily
0: so biblical submission is a voluntary thing and it's also a limited thing. Biblical submission is limited. Uh, on the one hand, it's limited for the men. Uh, Paul says to the wives here in Ephesians 5, he says, wives, submit to your husbands. And then he turns to the husbands and he says something rather surprising. The guys would have expected him to say, now, fellows, rule over your wives. But instead he says, husbands, love your wives. The husband's authority is limited husbands are not to dominate their wives they don't get to just tell their wives what to do for example initially rebecca was a little bit hesitant about coming up here with me this morning so did i force her to come up here yeah i did <laughs> <laughs> But She came up here totally willingly. Biblical submission is a voluntary thing. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, so husbands don't get to enforce their wives' submission, just like Rebecca said earlier, but they're called to love their wives, just as Christ has loved us. So husbands, this submission thing does not mean that you get to win every argument. Uh, This submission thing does not mean that you get a household servant or that it's your way or the highway or that what you say goes no matter what. A husband's authority is not, hey, babe, I'm hungry. Make me a burger, Ephesians 5. No, (laughs) that's not how it works. So submission is limited for the husbands. Submission also is limited for the wives, though. Um, Some of you might be thinking right now, some of you wives, okay, I get it. But what if I'm married to a man who doesn't really look like Jesus at all? Uh, What if he never nourishes or cherishes me? What if instead he ignores or abuses or stifles me? As Paul is talking about marriage here in this text in Ephesians 5, he's assuming that both spouses are following Jesus. And some of you right now are living in a daily reality where that's not the case. You're alone in your pursuit of faith. And so what this means for you is that your submission to your husband is limited. Uh, that when your husband asks you to do something that would mean going against what God says, then it's your job to respectfully and gently refuse. That if your husband asks you to sin, your ultimate submission must be to Jesus as your Lord. And so you gently say no if he asks you to cheat on your taxes, if he asks you to remain quiet about some kind of abuse, if he asks you to do something sexually that would be sinful, if he asks you to tell a lie, then it's your job to submit to Jesus and to respectfully say no to your husband. But just because your husband might be an unbeliever or not wholeheartedly pursuing Jesus, that doesn't mean that you can't love them and serve them. You should still love him and serve him and submit to him every time you have the chance. Peter writes about this in 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, Wives... In the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. So wives, keep submitting to them. Keep showing them love and service so that through you they can see Jesus' love and service to us. And this also means for all of you wives, submission does not mean you're supposed to be a pushover. It does not mean that you're supposed to be a wallflower. Some of you ladies are like, yo, you don't understand. If I let my husband make all the decisions, he, we'd go bankrupt because he'd be investing all of our money in Ponzi schemes right now. <laughs> so what I'm telling you is, submission does not mean shutting up. You should still voice your opinion. You should still be involved in the decision-making processes of your family. You should still be asking your husband good questions. And by the way, husbands, a Christ-like husband is not too proud to seek his wife's opinion. He's humble enough to sometimes admit that her ideas are a lot better than yours. In our family, Rebecca submits to me really well. She follows my leadership well. She is not a pushover, though. She's not a wallflower. She's incredibly intelligent and wise. And to be honest, she makes more of the day-to-day decisions in our life than I do because I am horrible at details. And if I made all the decisions, we would be broken living in the woods. So in our marriage, we make decisions together. We talk about things. We divvy up responsibilities and she asks good questions and I trust her wisdom and her input and I'm seeking her input. And ultimately, she does follow my lead and if it comes to the point where we don't come to an agreement, I do get the tie-breaking vote and she does submit to me. But this decision-making process in our relationship is a mutual thing. We are very much involved in it together. So submission is limited. Husbands, don't dominate. Wives, don't disobey God and don't be a pushover or a wallflower.
1: Biblical submission is also joyful. Loving sacrificially and submitting to Luke is not a burden to me. It's a joyful experience. If you've ever read the book, Love and Respect, it's a cycle. The more that um, I submit and respect Luke, the easier it is for him to love me. And the more that he loves me, the easier it is for me to respect and submit to him. And so as we do this, it creates this cycle of life-giving service to one another. However, that's a lot easier said than done and as we submit to our husbands, we have to work to guard our hearts and our minds. Because of the give and take nature of marriage, it can be really easy to grow resentful toward our spouse when we start to keep a tally of how much we are serving and giving to the other person. We can feel like we've been shortchanged when we play the comparison game. And I know that I have felt that times even with Luke um, when I've not guarded my heart and mind. So before we got married, I was working my dream job. I was on staff at a church in Oklahoma as one of their youth ministers, and so I mainly worked with uh, junior high and high school girls. And so when we got married, I left that church and moved back to Joplin, Missouri so that Luke could finish college. And from then on, there's been a lot of change and transitions um, as I've followed Luke. And left unchecked, I can feel like I've had to sacrifice more than him. But not only is that a lie, it creates in me an attitude that doesn't reflect Jesus Christ. So when I think of joyful submission, I think of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The promise of future reward and joy gave Jesus strength um, to submit to the Father and endure the cross. And we too can find joy in submitting because we know that our reward comes from our Heavenly Father.
0: So biblical submission is a joyful experience and it's also a sacrificial experience. Biblical submission is sacrificial. Followers of Jesus do not insist on getting their own way. At the heart of my leadership at the, as the Husband and Rebecca's submission as the wife is a mutual willingness to lay our desire, desires aside to serve the desires of the other person. We are each called to sacrifice for each other, both as I lead and as she follows. Paul writes about this in Philippians chapter 2. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. are called to practice the discipline of not getting our way, just like Jesus did. Jesus set aside his rights and his privileges and his interests, and he sacrificed those things for our good, for our interest, for our benefit. And in marriage, we are each called to sacrifice some of our expectations, our hope, our time, our rest, our opinions, our dreams, our plans for each other, I've asked Rebecca to tell you a little bit this morning about how we got here to PCC.
1: So a few weeks ago marked one year um, since Luke and I had visited Plainfield Christian Church to check things out for the first time. The church had offered Luke a residency and we were just coming up here to see if it was a good fit for our family. We loved the church and we loved meeting Steve and Diana and several of the elders and their wives. But I remember thinking as we left Plainfield, well, I'm not moving there. And... Yeah. (laughs) I was pregnant with our child, our first child, and the idea of moving eight hours away from both of our parents and our families was not appealing to me in the least bit. Uh, We are both close with our families, and it made me sad to think that our son Judah wouldn't get to see our parents very much. On the way back to Missouri, I kept coming up with a list in my head, like more and more reasons why we should not move to Plainfield. Um, Like the drive seemed a lot longer than it did on the way up. Or our tentative move date meant that I would be six months pregnant and so I wouldn't work and I would just be at home until Judah came and then by that time um, I'd be home with a newborn and I didn't know anybody in the area besides some of Luke's extended family. And then I think the biggest reason was doing ministry with Luke would look drastically different at Plainfield Christian Church than anything that we'd ever known in our marriage. In our previous ministry at a small church, Luke and I did everything together. We taught Sunday school, we did hospital visits, we went to the nursing home together. Everybody that he ministered to, I knew them, and I knew their families too. And that would look drastically different at a big church like Plainfield. And so all these changes made me really fearful to be open to moving here. We decided to table the discussion, because every time we talked about it, fear would just overcome me, and there was always a lot of tears. And (laughs) anyways, as time went on, uh, Luke became a lot more confident that this is where God was calling him, and I didn't want that to be true. It was a really hard time for us. But I love God more than I love my family, and I made a choice to follow my husband and to submit to his leading. It was not easy, clearly, and sometimes it still is hard being away from family, but it's good and it's right, and I wasn't the only one that sacrificed. Luke did, too, being away from family and from community and a really good ministry. But the good thing is that I get to a front row seat to see what God's doing in my husband, and it's been awesome to see how God's used Luke in your lives, and what God is and has done through my husband um, is worth the sacrifices that we've made to be here.
0: Biblical submission is sacrificial. Um, And that sounds a whole lot like Jesus. Because at the end of the day, uh, the core of this is that biblical submission is Christ centered. It's Christ centered, just like everything in our lives. The motive and the basis and the power is Jesus. Um, The motive for our submission is Jesus. Paul describes marriage here in Ephesians chapter 5 as this picture of God's love for his people. And so our marriages are supposed to be this living, breathing reflection of the grace of Jesus Christ. And if we look down through this text in Ephesians in chapter five, you'll notice that Jesus is in almost every single verse. He's all over the place, and each of us, both the husbands and the wives, get to play the Jesus role and act like Jesus, either in how we lead or how we follow. Just glance down through this text with me, uh, beginning in verse 21. Each of us, we both, get to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, Verse 23, the husbands lead the wives as Christ leads the church. Verse 24, the church follows and submits to Jesus and the wives follow and submit to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands love their wives like Christ loves the church. Verse 29, we care for and nurture our wives like Christ cares for and nurtures the church. Biblical submission is Christ-centered. You may remember we said earlier that the, the word for submit means to arrange under, And so as all of us arrange our lives under Jesus, we all submit to him together, that therefore is the basis for our mutual submission to each other. And Jesus deserves your submission. Notice here that Paul does not say, wives, submit to your own husbands because they deserve it. No. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Submit to your husband because Jesus deserves it. Even when your husband doesn't. Even when your husband is rude even when you are tired, even when he snaps at you or when he's a slob or when he's unlovable or when he doesn't lead your family as well as he should or when you look at him and there's not much about him that would make you want to follow him or submit to him, love him like Jesus and submit to him and follow him anyway because even if he does not deserve it, Jesus does. Biblical submission is Christ-centered and the last thing is this, biblical submission is spirit-filled Spirit-filled, the power for our, our submission always comes from the Holy Spirit. When we read the Bible like this, it's important not to just yank out verses indiscriminately. They're not these like little 140-character tweets for us. These verses all come within a context, with things before them and after them. So we look at the context. And when we look at the whole narrative flow of Ephesians chapter 5 here, you'll notice that before this section on marriage, Paul is talking about what it means to do God's will. And he says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. But instead, be filled with the Spirit. Let me nerd out here for just a second. In the Greek, that command, to be filled with the Spirit, kind of almost serves as a heading for this section on marriage. So the be filled with the Spirit command is the main point, and everything about this marriage section are just sub-points to that command. In other words, when the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, a natural outcome of that is that you will submit to each other, that we will love each other like Jesus does. Because on our own, on our own strength and power, we're not strong enough to love that selflessly. We're not humble enough to love like that on our own. And we don't have it figured out yet. But every day, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we submit to one another. We put each other's needs above our own. And the good news is that even though I'm not strong enough, Jesus came and he humbled himself and he submitted and he followed and he was obedient even to death, death on the cross, so that we could be filled with his in, indwelling spirit power presence living in us to empower us to love and serve each other in the same way that he loved and served us. So this week, in the moments when you are attempted to lash out or you're attempted to slack off, you're tempted to try to get your own way or to win the fight, or you're tempted to take a break and let somebody else do the hard work. Remember that God lives in you, and because of that, you can choose to sacrifice. You can choose to submit, because to be filled with the Spirit is to submit to each other. The Spirit-filled life is a submitted life. Picture it like this. Any of you guys like big family dinners? I do, I love them. Uh, Rebecca and I, our, our families are actually both here today. So after church, we're all gonna go back to our house and we are gonna have a giant family dinner. It's gonna be great. I'm gonna pig out and I'm gonna eat so much that I'm probably gonna be stuffed. So imagine today at lunch that I'm just stuffed. I cannot eat another bite. And yet there's still a bunch of food left. There's still leftovers. So instead of me going back and getting another plate, I'm begging everybody else, go get seconds, go get thirds, get rid of that food for me. I'm so filled that I want others to take the rest of it. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will be so totally satisfied in him that it will overflow out of us and it will empower us to let others win. Because love is for losers. And some of you may not have liked this sermon very much because you don't like to lose. But the only thing you're really losing is the sinful burden of having to get your own way. So let it go. Followers of Jesus do not insist on getting their own way. Choose to lose just like Jesus did because dying on a cross sure looked like losing. But remind me again, what happened on the third day? Yeah, he rose, victory, life. The ironic thing is that when we choose to lose, that's when we win. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we're not good at this on our own. It's hard to give up our rights, to give up our opinions, to give up our preferences for the sake of another, and yet that's what you did for us. And we are so eternally grateful. And so, Father, we submit to you, to your leadership, to your lordship, and we ask you to empower us this week to submit to one another. In the name of Jesus Christ, who submitted to you, who chose to lose, and who won the ultimate victory on our behalf, amen.